G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Given the times in which we live, Pastor Greg Laurie says we need to be genuine Christians, God's own from head to toe. The evidence is found in what the Bible describes as fruit. And if you're a real Christian, there will be spiritual fruit, i.e. results. There will be works. There will be evidence that confirms that you are a follower of Christ. This is the day when the lost are found. It's not always easy to tell the real from the imitation. Appearances don't always tell the whole story. But eventually, the nature of each will be revealed. Today, on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie points out how critical it is to make sure that we have a sincere relationship with the Lord. Why? Because Christ could return at any time. And we need to be ready now. It's a message called The Second Coming. You know, newspapers have a certain kind of type they save for mega events. And guess what it's called? It's called second coming type. Uh, They use it for special events. It's much larger than the normal type. This is the type that was used when the Japanese attacked us at Pearl Harbor. This is the type that was used when President Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas. This is the type that was used when the World Trade Center was attacked. And it's interesting, they don't call it mega event type. They call it second coming type. Why do they call it that? Because they're actually acknowledging there is no bigger event that is coming to the world than the second coming of Jesus Christ. By the way, it's not just Christians that believe this. I read a Gallup poll that said 66% of the American people believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth in the future. And that poll was taken quite a long time ago. I wonder if that percentage is not higher with all that is going on in our world right now. Make no mistake about it, Christ is coming again. And at the second coming, Jesus is going to come back to this planet. He's gonna judge his enemies. He's gonna set up his kingdom and he'll rule over the earth for a thousand year period that is called the millennium. Satan's heyday will be over and he'll be chained up for a thousand years. By the way, 
the second coming of Christ is mentioned many times in the Bible. It's mentioned 1,800 times in the Old Testament and 300 times in the New Testament. Specifically, one verse in 25 mentions the Lord's return in the Bible. It's referred to in 27 Old Testament books and also in 23 New Testament books. Listen to this. For every prophecy about the first coming of Jesus Christ, there are eight prophecies about the second coming. So clearly, this is a theme in the Bible that is repeated over and over again. The great British preacher C.H. Spurgeon once said, quote, the sound of his approach should be as music to our ears, end quote. In fact, I think your reaction to the imminent return of Jesus is a real barometer of your spiritual health. I think if you're right with God and you love the Lord and you're walking with Jesus, and if you don't know what I mean by that, I'll tell you uh, at the end of my message how you can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you don't have this relationship with God, this can be sort of a scary subject and I'm addressing right now. In Revelation 22, 20, uh, we read these words. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. And then John responds, even so, come Lord Jesus. And that should be the response of every believer. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, after Jesus was crucified and rose again from the dead, Now he was going to ascend to heaven. And we read over in Acts chapter one, verse 11, that the angels told the disciples as Christ was ascending, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come again in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So know this, Jesus Christ is coming again. The incarnation Without the coronation would be like the east without the west. It's repeated over and over. One of the more familiar passages is Matthew 24, also known as the Olivet Discourse, when Christ speaks of this and he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, and remember, there's gonna be a great tribulation period that lasts for seven years. So the second coming is at the end of the tribulation period. So Jesus says, As this is happening, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give her light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. No, it doesn't say great glory. Great glory. (laughs) I actually think I'll be there though. And if you're a Christian, I think you'll be there as well. I'll tell you why I believe that in just a few moments. But the second coming happens at the battle of Armageddon. And the battle of Armageddon is at the end of the tribulation period. So the question may arise, what are we going to be doing as followers of Jesus while this is happening? I told you in my last message, I believe we'll have been caught up to meet the Lord in the air, we'll be in heaven But what are we doing uh, after the rapture and before the second coming? Revelation 19, verse seven addresses that. Let's read it together. 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb. You might want to underline that phrase. The marriage of the Lamb has come and the wife has made herself ready. And her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. And the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Now imagine hearing this. And John is just overwhelmed as the angel delivers this message to him. And John uh, says, I fell to his feet to worship him. And he said, Don't do that. Uh, I am your fellow servant and uh, of your brothers who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You know, more than one occasion, the Bible compares the, the church to a bride and Jesus to the groom. In fact, our Lord used this illustration many times in his parables. Remember, it's a story that he told of a man who was invited to a wedding but he refused to wear the garment that was given to him at the door. That's a picture of people that think they don't need to believe in Jesus to get into this great feast, this great promise that God gives to us. Jesus told the parable of the 10 virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. The wise ones had oil in their lamps. And remember, uh, there was a cry given out, the bridegroom is coming. See, when we have weddings now, a lot of it's about the bride, right? You know, we all are there in our seats and then the melody is played on the keyboards. Dun, dun, da, da. And we all stand up and we look back and there stands the bride dressed in white, usually escorted by her father. And she comes down the aisle and then she's joined to the groom. But in biblical times, it was almost a reverse of that. Everyone was waiting for the groom, not the bride. So in those days, you didn't know when the groom was gonna show up. He might show up at three o'clock in the afternoon. He might show up at three o'clock in the morning. And there was an announcement given. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. And if you were asleep, you'd miss it. Snooze and you lose. So Jesus used that picture to say we need to be ready for this great event that is coming. You know, on your wedding day, you want to look your best. I mean, guys, come on. You know, you got to dress up. Uh, hopefully rent a tux or look your best. You know, don't show up with some funky soiled t-shirt with a hole in it. In brides, you, you wouldn't like go through a drive through restaurant on your way to your wedding like Taco Bell. You don't want refried beans on your wedding dress now, do you? Both of you want to look your best. You're listening to A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie from Harvest Ministries in California, USA. Thanks for joining us today as he presents a message about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's part of an inspiring study series in the book of Revelation. Pastor Greg is helping us to see how we need to be prepared to meet the Lord. Let's continue. And now it's interesting because we read here in Revelation 19 and verse 8 about this fine linen, which is the righteous acts of the saints. What does that mean? Here's what it does not mean. It doesn't mean you have to live a perfect life to get to heaven. Because as I've said to you before, heaven is not for good people, it's for forgiven people. So when you've turned from your sin and you've put your faith in Christ, you now have the hope you will go to heaven. And then when you get there, we have the righteous acts of the saints. In other words, it's not what we've done to get to heaven, but it's what we've done in light of the fact that God has called us to heaven and purchased our salvation. 
You know, we're not saved by human effort. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. And one of the more familiar passages on this topic is Ephesians 2.8. Paul says, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we know that. But that verse goes on to say the following. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen to this. Works don't save a man or a woman, but they're a good evidence that he or she is saved. You can have works without faith, but you cannot have faith without works. You say, what are you even talking about? By works, I mean evidence, results, let me ask you this question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now by evidence, I don't mean by how many Bibles you have. I have a collection of Bibles on my desk going back decades. Of Bibles that I use are all pretty beat up. But that's not evidence that I'm a Christian. It's evidence I have a lot of Bibles. The evidence is found in the way that I live. The evidence is found by the things that I say. The evidence is found in what the Bible describes as fruit, spiritual fruit. The Bible says we should bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And sometimes you'll see a person who says they're a Christian, but they're contradicting it by the way that they're living. Oh, I'm a Christian, they'll say, but they're getting drunk and partying the weekends away or maybe even other days of the week. They say they're a Christian, but they're in an immoral relationship. They say they're a Christian, and they're doing something else. And you'll say, hey, man, I don't really know if you're living a life that a Christian should be living. And of course, they're gonna push back and say this to you. Hey, judge not lest you be judged, right? So you could just say, well, I don't know that I'm judging you. Think of me as a fruit inspector. <laughs> Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. And if you're a real Christian, there will be spiritual fruit, i.e. results. There will be works. There will be evidence that confirms that you are a follower of Christ. Now this is really important because something's gonna happen in heaven that some Christians don't know about. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And every Christian will be present at the judgment seat of Christ. It happens after the rapture, and it happens before the second coming. Now, you might say, wait, wait, I thought we weren't gonna be judged. Well, you won't be judged at the great white throne judgment. That is that judgment where the small and the great, the rich and the poor, every person stands before God, and if your name is not found written in the book of life, you're cast into the lake of fire. This is not that judgment. Not only will a Christian not be judged then, but they will not even be present at that judgment, in my opinion. What I'm talking about is a different judgment that's sometimes called the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. And that is the judgment that we're gonna stand before as followers of Jesus Christ. Describing this in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. So think of this as more of an awards ceremony. Uh, many of you who are watching may be very accomplished and you have doctorates hanging on your wall and your degrees and things that you've done. 
Uh, others may have uh, shelves lined with uh, trophies and ribbons that you've won for athletic events. When I competed in athletics as a kid, I always seemed to win the purple ribbon. And by the way, that was like the lowest ribbon you could win. You know, there would be the gold ribbon maybe or the blue ribbon. And purple was given for just existing. That was like <laughs> what was given for the fact that you just were in the race and they acknowledged you lived. That's it. I had a lot of purple ribbons. I'm also reminded of when I was in uh, school, teachers would give little stars on certain papers or reports. Remember those? Some of you may have never seen them, but you get them in the stationery store. Little gold stars, silver stars, blue stars. And the gold star was the big one. I never got a gold star. In fact, I just had blue stars, which again just meant, okay, you turned it in. It wasn't that great, but we acknowledge your existence. I literally went to a stationery store and bought a little box of gold stars and just put them on my papers because I wanted to see what it was like. But, you know, we, we think about things like that where we're acknowledged for what we have done. I know the trend in, in kids' sports today is to not keep score. I know that because they have five grandkids and I've gone to some of their soccer games and they'll be out there playing and I'll say, what's the score? And someone will say, we don't keep score. But there are people always keeping score, of course, even if it's not official. But this is the idea that there's, there's no winners, there's no losers, everyone's a winner. That sounds good. It's not true. It's not true in life. And guess what? It's not true in the Bible. <laughs> in the Bible, there's winners and there are losers. And guess what? God wants you to be a winner in the race of life. On more than one occasion, the Christian life is compared to running a race. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, don't you realize that we're in a race and everyone runs in a race, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. Run to win. If you're competing in the Olympics, go for the gold. If you're living as a Christian, go for the gold. Run to win. And by the way, I'm not competing with my fellow Christians. My competition is not with fellow believers. My competition as a pastor is not with other churches. He who has the biggest church wins. No, no, no. Because on that final day, God is going to ask about my faithfulness. He won't say, well done, good and successful servant. He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'll be held accountable for what God has called me to do. You'll be held accountable for what God has called you to do. So we need to be faithful, but we must do the best we can do. My competition, if you will, is the world, the flesh, and the devil, <laughs> not fellow believers. And know this, there's coming a day when rewards are going to be given out in heaven. Again, this is like an awards ceremony. Think the Oscars or the Emmys. Generally, in the old days at least, there would be the big buildup and the screen would be split with a tight shot of all the potential winners. And they would say, and the winner is for the Academy Award for Actor of the Year, Actress of the Year, Film of the Year. And then this is it. And they would announce it. And the person would jump up. And then you would see everybody else. And they would all be applauding. You know they're mad. You know they're upset, but they're actors. Oh, that was a great choice. It said to me, no, no one likes to lose. And then the winner goes and gets their Oscar, their Emmy, their Grammy, whatever it is. This is an awards ceremony 
where you will be rewarded for what you have done with the opportunities that God has set before you. And if you are faithful, there is a reward that will be given. Pastor Greg Laurie with some good clarity today on what will happen at the judgment seat of Christ. We're digging deep into the book of Revelation here on A New Beginning. The title of today's study, The Second Coming. Now next time, Pastor Greg addresses time management. He says we all need to watch how we spend our time from a spiritual perspective. We'll see that time is short and investing our days wisely is important. Join us again next time for A New Beginning. Now, for a copy of Pastor Greg's full message from today, get in touch with Vision Christian Store. It was called The Second Coming. Just go to visionstore.org.au or call 1-800-00-5011. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.